I will read Psalm 11, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dive into God's word together. Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be their portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for your word, for this time allowing us to gather and commune with you. I pray, Lord, that as we um, dive into your word, that you would use my weak and feeble efforts to preach your holy word and to uh, use it to feed your people to nourish our souls, to edify us, to see how we can better uh, live in light of the gospel. And so, Father, would you be present with us right now? Praise things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> As Ryan said, I graduated from TCU, and after I graduated from college, um, I went to work with Reform University Fellowship, which it seems like we're mostly familiar with what that is. Um, but for those who don't know, uh, Reform University Fellowship is a campus ministry specifically geared towards uh, serving and ministering to college students. And so when I took a job with RUF uh, at LSU, go Tigers. Um, when I took a job with RUF, I got placed at LSU. Uh, and your first and most important uh, job initially is fundraising. Uh, to minister to college students, you fundraise your salary uh, and that's just part of the gig. And so when I found out I was going to LSU, I immediately started calling everybody I knew uh, from church, from work, from internships, from friends back in high school, family, extended family, people I just happened to know but were acquaintances with. I was reaching and contacting anybody I could and asking them to support me uh, in this endeavor. And so after I would reached out just about to everybody I knew, uh, this is about two, two months had passed at this point, and RUF has what they call uh, July training, which is just a time where everybody who serves on campuses and those who are working in the national office, they come together and you just hang out, you're getting poured into, you're decompressing, you're relaxing, and the point is, is that right before school starts, you come and train and so that you're like rejuvenated and you're ready to go and serve and love on college students. And naturally during this time, I'm hanging out with my friends and the topic of fundraising comes up. And so we're, you know, my friends are saying, yeah, I raised $60,000 these last two months, or I raised 100,000, or um, there's an 85% mark. If you reach 85% of your budget, they, they give you the okay at least to like go to campus. And so I had a few friends that were like, uh, at least I'm at like 85% or I'm two to $3,000 away from uh, hitting 85%. And, Eventually it comes to me and they ask me, how much have I raised? Now mind you, I've contacted pretty much every person in church um, that I know, and I'd raised a grand total 
of $3,500. I needed $38,000 to be on campus. And so I was missing $34,500. So a time that was supposed to be encouraging and rejuvenating and energetic and just like, I'm ready to go serve was really a time where I was just continually reminded that I have a long way to go. And it was discouraging, it was disheartening. And so I can remember getting back on the flight and coming back home um, and going to bed and I'm up at night racking my brain. Who can I contact? Who have I, who has maybe slipped my mind? Who hasn't read my newsletters? I'm racking my brain and I wake up the next morning and I can remember sitting in my living room um, opening up my laptop and I knew I had to do something. I couldn't just sit here. I knew I had to do something. So I'm typing my like seventh newsletter at this point. Um, and I don't know who's going to see it that hasn't seen my previous six, but I just knew I had to do something. And some of the voices that I drowned out during training are now coming to the forefront of my mind as I'm writing out this newspaper. Um, I'm hearing, you know, some of the voices I'm hearing are, this isn't going to work out. This is way too much money and not enough time. Maybe it just wasn't meant to be. You should probably go look for a new job before they tell you you're not going to campus. And so these are some of the voices I'm hearing in my head. And then some of the questions that start to come to mind is, like, why is this happening to me? I'm choosing to go serve and love college students right after graduating when I could have just applied for a regular job. And, join the corporate life. Like, why, why is this happening to me? This is a good and honorable thing. Why is it not working out? Why is this not going the way that I thought it would? And so as I began to listen to these voices and start to ponder these questions, I panicked. I took the last bit of control I had in that situation, and I, and I applied for an internship, and I took it while I was working a whole other job because I was scared that this job wasn't going to work out because it wasn't unfolding in the way that I envisioned. Maybe you've been in a similar situation where um, things, unexpected things start to happen that are unpleasant, that are uncomfortable, sometimes even tragic and horrific. And so instead of trusting the Lord, instead of taking refuge in him, you flee, you run. You, and that can look like mentally disengaging, emotionally disengaging or just physically removing yourself from the situation or just acting like it's not really happening. You see, in this passage, David's in a similar situation. He's, he's given the advice to flee, to run. And the, what prompts David to write this psalm can be found in 1 Samuel 19. And we're not going to look at it, but What's happening there is Saul, the king of Israel, is, is coming for David. He wants to kill David because he perceives him as a threat to his kingdom and his reign. And so some of the advice that David gets is it's to flee, it's to run, it's to save yourself. Now, my life was not in danger, but my first job out of college was. And I took the advice or the voices in my head that were telling me to get out of there to save myself. Let's see how David responds in this situation. We'll look at this through two points, the voice of panic and confidence in the Lord. The voice of panic and confidence in the Lord. As the Psalm open up, opens up, 
the first verse is David saying, in the Lord, I take refuge. Again, the advice he's getting is to flee, is to run, is to save himself. And as I mentioned earlier, Saul is gunning after David's life. He wants to kill David because he perceives him as a threat. In 1 Samuel 19, the beginning of this paranoia that happens for Saul is uh, a, a song is sung after David comes back from battle, and the song praises David more than Saul. And Saul begins to think and ponder, is, is David threatening my kingdom? Is there a chance that the people might like David more than I? And so as this begins to grow and furnace, Saul, uh, the text goes on to say that Saul eventually grabs a spear as they're hanging out in his palace and tries to pin David to the wall with it. And David eludes it and runs out and, and you know, is in hiding. And his, Saul's son, Jonathan, uh, goes, to, goes to David. Saul and David, or Jonathan and David are like, they're like best buddies. They do everything together, they're homies. Um, and so uh, David, goes, or Jonathan goes to David and says, I'm going to talk to my dad and I'm going to convince him to, you know, not kill you. Um, and so David's like, okay, I'll believe it when I see it. And so Jonathan goes back, talks to his dad. Saul comes back to his senses and he says, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And so Jonathan's excited to hear this. And so he runs and runs and finds David and says, my dad promises he's not going to kill you. And so David comes back, and he's back in the presence of Saul, and they're hanging out, and everything's fine. And then the text says, an evil spirit comes over Saul, and he attempts to kill David uh, the exact same way, with a spear. And David eludes it again, and he runs off, and he runs home to his wife. Now, mind you, David's wife is Saul's daughter. So David's father-in-law is trying to kill him. And his wife tells him, if you do not leave tonight, you'll be dead in the morning. And so even um, Saul's daughter is aware of the power that he holds, the, the, just how strong Saul is. He's the king of Israel. What he says goes. There's no one to, to back him down or to even say anything that might make him second-guess himself. And so everything David is hearing as he's in this horrible situation is to flee. Is to run. That's the advice he's getting from his friends. That's the advice he's getting from his wife, and perhaps maybe the voices in his head. And so that's why we see in verse one it says, "Flee like a bird to your mountain." This is the voice of panic that is coming in into David's life. This is what the voice of panic says: "It's to flee. It's to save yourself." And we see this because in verse two it says, "For behold, the wicked bend the bow; they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark." at the upright in heart. The wicked in the case of David is his own father-in-law. You see, David has only done good by Saul. He's gone out to war, he's won in battle, he's brought him back fame, wealth, power. Everything David has done for Saul has been for the betterment of Saul, of his kingdom and his reign. And yet David is being treated as if he's done something wrong, as if he's committed a heinous crime against Saul. And so he asks the question, what can the righteous do? David's foundations are crumbling before his very eyes. And so he asks the question, what can the righteous do? And we know that the voice of panic says, flee. It says, save yourself. One commentator says, this is the ultimate self-reflection of self-interest 
and despair. Take care of yourself first. You see, when our foundations are being threatened, we can flee in a multitude of ways. There's no cookie cutter way to flee. When Adam and Eve, when their relationship with God, the foundation of the relationship with God began to crumble when they both partook of the fruit, they literally fled and then they hid and they blamed one another and denied the situation when they began to talk to God. When Saul's foundations began to crumble, when it looked like his kingdom was actually threatened, he saved himself. And that led to violence and madness. When Jonah was sent to go prophesy to the people of Nineveh, he literally fled. He got in a boat and went as far as a boat would take him. I fled when my foundation of self-worth and, uh, and value began, began to crumble. When it looked like my job with RUF was going to end before it ever truly began, I fled. I took the last bit of control I had and I took an internship to save my sense of self-worth and value. Thankfully, we uh, live in a world for the most part where if people are threatened by us, they don't get to just kill us. Um, and so, uh, but we still do, uh, we still do experience situations that are difficult, that are unexpected, that are unpleasant, that are uncomfortable, and again, possibly even horrible and tragic. Um, even though we may think that these things shouldn't, these things shouldn't happen to us because we, we read our Bibles or we go to church or we love our neighbors and we give our time and our energy, these things shouldn't happen. But as we see, David is, a, is called a man after God's own heart, and this is a situation he finds himself in. And so what are, the ways, what are the ways that you and I might flee? Maybe you see senseless acts of violence happen time and time again, and you just become okay with it or act like it's not gonna change. You become hopeless instead of trusting in the Lord and what his word says. Or maybe you're struggling with habitual sin, and so you just give up the daily battle, and you're just like, this is the way it is. Or maybe when your foundations of safety or security begin to crumble, you become more tight-fisted with your resources instead of more open-handed and trusting that the Lord will provide. Or maybe relationships are tough for you or it's been hard for you to, you know, to find friends and so you just stop, you stop pouring into relationships or you stop trying because this is the way it is. Or you, you know, binge Netflix or TV shows just to keep yourself busy and not actually have to deal with actually what's actually going on. See, we can flee, again, in, in a multitude of ways. Emotionally, we can disengage. Mentally, we can act like it's not happening. And physically, we can just physically remove ourselves. And these are, all of these are ways of just saving ourselves, of protecting ourselves, of living as if God is not in the picture at all. And so David asked the question again, what can the righteous do when our foundations are being destroyed? And as we see, one option is to flee. It's to run away. It's to save ourselves. But as we see, that, is, that generally leads to more sin and displays a lack of trust in who God is and what he can do. So what's the other option? This brings me to my second point. Confidence in the Lord. What can the righteous do? David answers this question in verse 4. Verse 4 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. I like the way that the uh, NLT puts it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. 
the Lord still rules from heaven. He watches closely, examining every person on earth. This verse right here tells us that despite what is unpleasant in our life, despite what is uncomfortable, despite what is unexpected, despite what is horrible and tragic, the Lord is still on his heavenly throne and he still rules. He is still in power. Gerald H. Wilson, an Old Testament scholar, says this about verse 4. He says, It shows Yahweh enthroned, in control, and unperturbed by the apparent chaos unleashed in human affairs. This is not to say that God is unconcerned by injustice and violence. His concern is amply illustrated in the rest of the psalm. And he's referring to verses 5 and 6. But he, is not, but he is not undermined or panicked by the disorder and destruction that dismays humans. Instead, he remains unshaken and eternally in power. This verse here reaffirms that God is in control, that he is in power, that he is not detached from the situations that we find ourselves in, but he is there and he sees it all and that he is near and he is with us. And this reality brings comfort to David in the midst of the most powerful man in Israel wanting to kill him. God sitting on the throne is an unparalleled image of authority and power and control in this universe. So in a world full of brokenness, full of disease, full of death, full of sin and fallenness, the fact remains that our Lord is sitting on his heavenly throne in power and in control and that he has a plan to do something about all the wrongs and sorrows and tragedies that happen in this world. Not only that is he in power, but that he is righteous. The text shows us that God is a fair and just God. He does not let the actions of the unwicked to go unpunished. He has a plan for that. And so with this image in mind and understanding the reality of who God is and what he can do, David understands that to flee would be to display a lack of confidence in who God is and what he can do. So what are the righteous to do when our foundations are being destroyed? What are we to do when unexpected tragic events happen in our lives or when the future doesn't unfold in the way that we thought it would be? What are we to do? You and I are to trust in God. You and I are to put our faith, our hope, and our trust in him, to have an unwavering trust and reliance upon him. It's to know that he is good in the midst of chaos, in the midst of brokenness. It's to know that he is near. It's to know that he is faithful to his promises. So we are to listen and seek the Lord and to listen for his voice and not any other ones. So instead of taking that internship when when it began to look like this wasn't gonna work out, I should have prayed. I should have turned to the Lord and asked for wisdom and discernment for what he wants me to do next and to ultimately to be open to his will to be done and not my own. But despite my fleeing, uh, the Lord was determined for his will to be done. After sending out that newsletter, um, a friend of mine called me and it was a very normal conversation. We just, you know, how's your heart? Where are you at? How's fundraising going? How's life? How can I pray for you? And we talked for about 30, 40 minutes. There was nothing supernatural about that conversation. It was pretty normal in the sense of he was just checking in on me. And uh, we ended that conversation in prayer, and then the weekend came. And over the next three weeks, I saw my account receive $34,500. 
in one week. Yeah, praise the Lord. Seriously, praise the Lord. In one week, I saw $17,000 come into my account. The majority of these donations were anonymous. I couldn't even write thank you letters to whoever gave to me. All I could do was simply praise and thank the Lord because it was truly him who was making this happen. It was one of the most clear pictures I've seen of God working my life because I was utterly helpless. I was at the end of my rope. I couldn't do anything except be completely and fully dependent on the Lord and he provided and he provided. And I shouldn't have been surprised because this is God we're talking about, right? This is our heavenly father who sits on the throne. There is nothing impossible when it comes to him. But again, I let my circumstances influence what I thought God could do in my situation. So where are the areas in your life where you're tempted to be more influenced by the circumstance rather than the image of God sitting on the throne? What are those areas? It's important to understand those areas because in those areas, our actions are saying either we don't believe God can do it, we don't believe he's powerful enough, or we believe that he's just not in the picture. And those are the areas that we, we need to, we, you and I need to work in and trust God more instead of relying on ourselves. Um, now, I do, want to, I do want there to be a distinction because there were some people uh, in RUF, in my class, who didn't end up going to campus. Um, and that's not to say that they, you know, weren't trying hard enough or were fleeing if they were looking for other jobs. I think what I want us to see, the distinction uh, that's important to see is that, is that my life, in hindsight, when I was fundraising, I was more dependent on what I could do. I was more dependent on who I knew, my gifts, uh, who the support base I had, how I framed my support letters. I was more reliant upon that than I was on the Lord. Um, and I think that's, that's an important distinction. So what was missing from my attempt to fundraise initially was being fully uh, dependent and re relying upon the Lord to provide for what he called me to, instead of relying on myself and who I knew. I think if we pray honestly and deeply and earnestly, then the Lord will provide and how he provides will look different from person to person. There's no cookie cutter answer for that. But the thing that is most important is that we are relying upon the Lord uh, in those situations. So are we taking, when situations get tough, when they get hard, when they become difficult and unpleasant, are we taking control uh, and using it to save ourselves, acting as if we must fend for ourselves alone, essentially functioning as atheists, or are we taking the last bit of control we have offering it to God, seeking wisdom and discernment from him, and being reliant upon him to provide uh, for what we need in that situation. You see, David gave up the last bit of control he had. He began the verse by saying, in the Lord I take refuge, and he ends the, ver ends the, ends the psalm by saying, for the Lord is righteous, he loves justice, and upright men will see his face. This is David bookending this psalm by expressing confidence in who the Lord is and what he can do, um, no matter what situation he finds himself in. Lupenga Wenzima, an old, uh, old Testament African scholar, says to see the face of God is to experience deliverance, freedom, and hope. It is also an indication of the one who has found favor with the Lord. See, David's decision not to flee but to trust in the Lord, to take refuge in him, to seek him out 
and to know that he is near and, and close and loves him and his promises will, will be fulfilled, David is vindicated by this. By the end of the, uh, the verse, it says, uh, upright men, referring to people, will see his face. What a praise. And so we should strive to be people who put our faith and our trust and our hope in God. I, I believe we sang it just earlier today where it said, though the foundations are shaking, yet I seek God. We should seek God even in the midst of chaos and madness and, and trust in him, not, to, not, not acting as if he's not near, but knowing he is near. And so I think that's important. Um, last thought. So this isn't the only uh, story in the Bible. There's multiple stories in the Bible where people are in horrible situations um, unexpectedly, and so, they, and so they're presented with a situation. So what are they going to do? What, what, what's going to happen? And so there's one more story that I think is even more important that makes David's story, uh, David's situation look like a walk in the park. Um, he had 12 friends, and he, his friends learned that he's about to be in a horrible, horrible situation. And the advice he gets from his friends is, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. I'm referring to Matthew 16, where Jesus is with the disciples, and he begins to relay to the disciples that his purpose on earth was to come and to be killed and murdered for the sake of another by the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisee. And this is all to be done to save humanity. And when Peter hears this, he says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. We thank God that Jesus did not take Peter's advice. Instead, when the time came for Jesus to come to the cross, he went to the garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. He said, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, when Jesus was faced with an extremely difficult situation, he didn't take the last bit of control he had and save himself. He turned to God in prayer, looking for wisdom and discernment and ultimately asking for his will to be done and not his own. You see, though he had done no wrong to any of the religious scribes or the Pharisees or the leaders or the government, he was treated as if he was a criminal. He died the death we deserve. But the Christian can rejoice in Jesus' death because it's what allows sinners to be present in an ever holy and righteous God. The plans of the wicked ensure that we are able to commune with God. And because he raised from the dead, we can enjoy that reality here and today. The wickedness the Lord hates, it has our fingerprints on it. But God's wrath and justice was satisfied when it was poured out on the spotless lamb. Because of what Christ has done, not only are we seen as blameless, but are we continually being made more and more in the likeness of Jesus. So, not only when we're being made more in the likeness of Jesus, we're not only becoming more caring, more loving, more kind, more forgiving, more merciful, but we're becoming more and more dependent on God. We become more reliant on God. We become more in tune with God and his desires and what he loves. So. Let us trust in the Lord no matter how the situation presents itself.
because the reality is, is we know that our God is on the throne, reigning and ruling, and that he has a plan for everything that happens in this earth. So let us trust in him and not the voices that we hear outside of that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you rule and reign on your heavenly throne, that you are in control, that you are in power, that you are near and you see this world as it cries out for you and that you have, you have a plan, that you have made promises to come back and renew this world and make all things new, Father. So we pray, Lord, that as we wait for that day to come, that you would strengthen us, that you would comfort us, that we would find peace and refuge in you and in your word. And Father, help us to be continually reliant upon you when life does get tough, to not look out for ourselves or to strengthen ourselves, but to seek wisdom from you and hope in you. Praise things in your name. Amen.